Dearest Imperial Drag fans, now, Imperial Drag was certainly a musician's band, and I'm guessing there are going to be a lot of musicians listening to this show. What is the biggest pain in the ass about being a musician? You know, apart from the shit money, the endless travel, and the crippling self-doubt? Back pain. So not really a pain in the ass, more a pain in the back. I'm a musician also, and I've had to carry my AC-30 down endless flights of stairs. We do not take good care of our backs. If you're not a musician, let's face it, you're just getting old. We all are. It's fine though, because we grew up in a time when we could see bands like Imperial Drag, Jellyfish, you know, we're the best generation, basically. We all need to take better care of our backs, and I have just the solution. What you need in your life is a book called 15 Surefire Tips for Relieving Back Pain, plus 192 Others Just In Case, Volume 1, available at Amazon.com in paperback. Over 30 million Americans are suffering with back pain at this very moment. The vast majority of these cases are either caused or exacerbated by common lifestyle factors. Many of the same factors may be causing you pain right now. Join board-certified physician Andrew Kirshner as he guides you through the parts of your life where these problems occur and gives you simple, safe and effective solutions for these common daily pitfalls. In this fun and informative book, you will learn how to identify the aspects of your life which may be causing you pain, how to create a back-friendly environment, how you can improve your pain by improving your sleep, ways to make a pain-free commute, how you can perform daily activities without making your pain worse, and much more. Andrew Kirshner is so well respected in the field of back pain relief. He has you know, famous clients such as DJ Jazzy Jeff. He has done uh, many talks and lectures at universities in the UK. He has appeared on QVC demonstrating back pain relief products and that is because he is an expert in his field and people trust him. Also check out the 5 star reviews on Amazon.com. This is the book that you need if you suffer from back pain. That's 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain plus 192 others just in case volume 1 available at Amazon.com in paperback. Check the link below the show for more information. Just when you thought that there were already too many podcasts in the world. Here comes another one. What you cooking, Roger? Oh, it's boring. I'm just steaming some vegetables. Nothing exciting. <laughs> <laughs> that is the rock and roll life, isn't it? Yeah. It is. This is a very fascinating conversation that I'm hearing between the two of you right now. What, uh, what are you up to today, Dover? Oh, just taking it easy. I'm um, relaxing. It's a beautiful day, so. Oh, yeah. Watching the tomatoes grow, I planted a garden. You're rushing us into the music. In fact, you should tend to lean back a little. They call it laid back. It's a sordid term, but that's how it's used. Who does he think he is? Come around here with his bloody podcasts. My friends, welcome to another episode of Pablo's Poppin' Podcast. Uh, quite arguably the biggest episode that I've done so far. My guests today are Eric Dover, Roger Joseph Manning Jr. and Joe Carnes from motherfucker Imperial Drag. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable that I was able to do this. I want to thank them for taking some time out uh, to 
kind of make a dream come true and uh, I want to thank you for tuning in. Now I know that there are going to be probably a lot of first time listeners to this show. Um, I would recommend checking out previous uh, shows because I have other Jellyfish Imperial Drag related shows. I've interviewed Tim Smith, uh, I've interviewed Craig Dorfman, uh, the author of the upcoming Jellyfish book and there are other guests as well. I think, you, I think you'll gen generally enjoy the show. Um, a little bit about me, if you've never listened to the show before, um, I'm basically self-employed and this podcast is a part of my self-employment, as you heard at the start, and you know, you'll hear you know, throughout the show, I have sponsors, um, which is amazing, it helps keep the show running. It took me my entire 20s to really uh, make that leap into self-employment as a musician and I guess, you know, it, it was never the intent to be, uh, to be a self-employed podcast host, but that's kind of a, just a part of my life now and it's an insane thing to do like I know that you know the money-making possibilities you know they are they, they are there but it is hard to do I hate it when people say that you know there's no money to be made in music obviously there is you know it's a multi-billion dollar industry you know don't let anyone shit on your dreams basically um, and as an artist it's almost like an illness you can't get it out of your mind when you know what you want to do um, I don't think you can be um, talked into doing anything else so this show it's basically a show for the open-minded um, I want to introduce new artists um, or people to artists that they've never heard before uh, so I've had actors authors musicians filmmakers and um, I want this to serve as a platform for not only people who you know have a following and I'm lucky to get those on the show um, but for those who don't have a following as well and are looking to build you know it's easy to offer exposure is a thing you know um, if musicians are listening to this show you know how many times have you played a gig and been offered exposure you know <laughs> you can take that with a pinch of salt basically um but if i get you know a great guest on the show like i did with pat badger from extreme i played someone's song on that show and it got them some legit exposure and if I can help in that way then I'm doing my job and um, if you enjoy the music and check it out or if you enjoy the project the book the film whatever then that is I couldn't ask for anything more from the podcast really um, so yes I am a musician I I guess I'm a power pop musician obviously the jellyfish influence is quite strong I'm also influenced by the zombies the move ELO the Beach Boys Divine Comedy obviously Queen I love Queen um, and two songs that I have written one of which features Roger Joseph Manning Jr. on lead vocals appear in a new indie horror film called Hollower now if you search Pablo's Poppin podcast on Facebook you will find a link to view the trailer and to pre-order if you wish if you're a, if you're an indie horror fan I would check it out and I've had indie horror guests uh, indie horror filmmakers in the past as guests like Liam Reagan who uh, made a film called Banjo which was aired at Cannes Film Festival among other places and he's winning awards all over the place and the writer and director of Hollower MJ Dixon and we have a great chat so I've got to turn Facebook off. <laughs> that is one thing that, uh, you know, about this podcast, it's held together by sticky tape and uh, <laughs> I'm still trying to learn as a professional and I'm going to close Facebook right now. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, um, speaking of Queen, you know, one of my favourite bands, 
a kind of magic turned 30 yesterday. That's insane. Um, how do you feel about a kind of magic? It's kind of a weird album. Obviously, it was half album, half uh, Highlander soundtrack because a lot of the songs were written for Highlander in particular, but the songs do stand up as songs themselves. It's not necessarily my favorite album, but I really love the songs. It's not really a cohesive album, I think. It's a bit of a jumbled mess, but you know, an album like Jazz was eclectic, and this is just as eclectic. All of their albums were eclectic, but it just feels like there was no specific direction with this album. Not that it mattered because it was a huge success. But what your favorite? What's your favorite Queen album? Mine changes all the time. Mine, my constant favorite is probably Innuendo. Um, but leave a comment. I would love to hear what your favorite uh, Queen-related album is. You know, do you like the solo stuff? I love Roger Taylor's solo stuff. Maybe I'm in the minority, but I love uh, I love the Strange Frontier album. I didn't think the new album was very good, uh, Fun on Earth. I think that's the only album he's done that I've uh, not been particularly keen on. But um, yeah, do let me know. Um, as a musician who is influenced by Queen, and as a self-employed musician who, you know, I need to make some cash to, you know, keep the, one, keep this podcast running, two, not die of homelessness and starvation, as I usually say. I have music available at toxicmelons.bandcamp.com. I have worked with Roger Manning. I have worked with Eric Dover, Linus of Hollywood, Taylor Locke, Chris Price, Fernando Bodomo, a lot of names who are connected to each other and a lot of names that I'm sure you appreciate and um, know, certainly. And I'll be playing your Toxic Melons track coming up as well. So if you want to check it out, toxicmelons.bandcamp.com. It really, really helps. I mean, this show, all of the jellyfish-related shows do the best, basically. So you are my audience in just about every way. So if you want to check that out, um, I would really, really appreciate it. And if you want to make a wee purchase, I'll, I'll certainly not argue with you there. There is also a patron button at the top. I'm, I was a bit sort of awkward about making the patron button because that is basically just asking for money without really offering anything in return you can become a show sponsor and there are a couple of other perks in there as well uh, it's the bright green button at the top of the page do check it out but i would actually prefer if you went on the bandcamp checked out my music and you know hopefully find something that you like or something that you would maybe recommend to other people um something that is a link underneath the show and if you can do this for me i will love you forever see that's the good thing about podcasts it's a hell of a medium where you can listen to me ramble on you can listen to the amazing imperial dragon interview and you can do other stuff as well you can you know it, it, it doesn't involve hands basically you know it involves just your ears um there is a link below uh, for newmediaeurope.com pablo's poppin podcast unbelievably is up for best uk podcast 2016 and I need your help, basically. It, um, we are through to the next round of voting. It's a Twitter vote, but it is also partly panel's decision as well, so they do check out the show. So hopefully, you know, they enjoy it, but it, it's kind of a 50-50 thing. If you click on the link below, it will take you to the New Media Europe page. The top category is Best UK Podcast 2016. Pablo's Poppin' Podcast is in there. All you've got to do is click on Pablo's Poppin' Podcast a Twitter pop-up will come up and then you just click submit because it, it gives you an automatic message saying I am voting for Pablo's Pop and Podcast or 
whatever it is. So if you can do that, I really, really appreciate it. So yes, I'm not going to keep you any longer. This is a track by me, sung by Roger Joseph Manning Jr. called Today Didn't Go. And then after that, we'll be going straight into my interview with Imperial motherfucking drag keep listening after the interview because i will tell you how you the dear listener can be a part of the next imperial drag interview some amazing introduction by doing one of those on this day 20 years ago kind of introductions but all I could find was news on Dolly the Clone Sheep and uh, that Always Be My Baby by Mariah Carey was released um, that week uh, May the 7th um, you know d- don't worry though not all of the music released that week was absolute uh, horseshit um, I guess this week released an album which I would discover 12 years later and along with all of their other collective work would go on to change every aspect of my life and I know this is probably embarrassing them but I don't care 
they're going to hear this. Uh, I can, you know, uh, barely get my own band together in one go, but by the grace of some unknown force, I've hopefully, and hopefully by not being too much of a pain in the ass, I have Eric, Roger, and Joe from Imperial Drag with me. Um, how are you all doing? Fine, thanks. Hello. Yeah, doing great, man. Okay, and how, was, that an, <laughs> was that an okay introduction? Because I'm usually terrible at these things. Oh, excited to be talking to my uh, mates. So you provided the perfect uh, opportunity for that. Awesome. We'll just go straight into it. Okay, so the early, earliest sort of uh, link to Imperial Drag um, would probably be the song Could Have Been You, uh, which appeared on the Love Bang album, uh, which was written by Eric. And I would have just assumed that the song was written by Roger because it's got the very sort of jellyfish uh, kind of <laughs> kind of feel to it, um, but again, you know that goes to show you know how diverse you are as writers, sort of thing. Uh, so, did Love Bang? Uh, did Roger? Did you find Eric in Love Bang? And is that what led to your sort of uh, working relationship in Jellyfish and beyond? Uh, no, as the book that's about to come out will uh, depict the proper history. Um, and Eric Dover can fill in, but in a, in a nutshell, uh, Tim Smith had met Eric Dover during um, some touring in the South where their bands were both on the same bill. And Tim Smith was the one that introduced Andy and I to Eric. And uh, I don't even know that I heard uh, the song Could Have Been You till Eric was way in the band already. He'd already been in the band and we were off and touring and a little at a time he would share material he'd been working on because I was genuinely curious and Tim smoked Tim spoke very highly of Eric's writing and so I got to know Eric's writing uh while he was in Jellyfish and then that of course led to us uh pursuing that further um post Jellyfish breakup and uh you know thinking about what it might be like to put our writing together put our skill sets together and, and start a post jellyfish project cool so eric um, what was what was sort of your side of the story on that uh, yeah it's basically what roger said i mean um but what what happened was is when we when we got together on especially i think that uh, could have been you as one of the best examples of how we of how how our writing relationship came together because um like Roger brought that very uh, fantastic bridge, for example, that wasn't in the original that uh, we cut with Love Bang. So, um, yeah, it, we just we kind of mashed just everything we had, you know, and sort of, you know, threw it up against the wall and saw, you know, if it would stick or not, right? Basically. Yeah, totally. Cool. So, when in Jellyfish and sort of, you know, as Jellyfish was sort of. Uh, breaking up did what influences did you sort of see in each other that you sort of connected with that uh wanted you to carry that working relationship on well speaking for myself i mean it was pretty self-evident i mean the one of the reasons eric was asked to be a part of jellyfish was that um he clearly had uh a lot of the same inspirational influences uh, musically uh but very general. In other words, we all kind of grew up on 60s and 70s uh, rock and, and 80s stuff as well. With, and we all shared an interest in um, the more melodic side of that. So 
you know, you could take a band like Cheap Trick, which was a really great example of a, a heavy, harder rocking group, but there was, you know, plenty of Beatles infused in what they did, and uh, high, highly melodic content and lots of hooks and things like that, and um, it's what we all valued. So just because Jellyfish broke up, it, you know, Tim Smith and Eric and I all continued to value those things and look for it in our own writing. Um, and uh, if there was going to be a follow-up jellyfish band, that's what we were all interested in making sure those ingredients were present. So even with all the different experiments that Imperial Drag did, uh, particularly in the demos, that hopefully people will hear uh, someday around the corner, um, you can look at all the different territory we experimented with writing and taking the group. Um, you know, it, in general, it's it's fairly heavy, uh, groove-based, um, primarily guitar-driven uh, pop with, with lots of melodic content and, and uh, clever lyrics to support all that and, and lead it at the same time. And uh, we just, we just kept, kept going with that theme. And, and uh, the first album was um, kind of our cream of the crop at that time. And... Um, yeah. Cool. So uh, before you discovered uh, Joe, uh, was Tim going to be a member at that time? Because uh, he mentioned that, you know, you were working on the Umajet stuff together. Um, you know, th there are certain, you know, instrumentations in the uh, in Demolotion that were used in Imperial Drag, like the Clav on American Pipe, etc. So was some of that stuff going to be more of a collaborative effort at the time? Because, you know, Tim obviously then went off to uh, be with uh, Cheryl Crow. Uh, so what? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, due to Tim's personal life, it was pretty clear, unlike Eric, he didn't have the freedom or the energy to come out and work with me on the West Coast. That was a, that was a big, big sacrifice that I was asking my friends to make, sim simply in an attempt to conduct an experiment to see if we were even going to be able to uh, work together and come up with anything that excited all of us. And we absolutely invited Tim Smith into that process because it was up in the it was totally up in the air. There were no right or wrong answers to what was going to come next, and Tim was just not in a place in his life that allowed him to do that, uh, which left Eric and I to forge on. And, and um, you know, Eric uh, made a big sacrifice in coming out to the West Coast and sleeping on my couch half the time, sleeping on his other friend's couch half the time, doing lots of driving. To where I was located in Southern California, which was not Los Angeles. It was about an hour and a half outside of LA. And um, we found a rehearsal room and just started conducting experiments. And it was every, every two days we'd work up another song and go, you know, are we liking this? Do we like the direction? Is it making us happy? Should we pursue more like this? Is this a, a, a wrong turn? Should we just stop doing things like this? And uh, unfortunately, Tim could not be a part of that process. So when Eric and I went to Atlanta for it was a brief week to help. Uh, Tim and uh, Rob were well into developing Umajets. Eric and I just came along because they asked us to, uh, and it sounded like a fun idea to help flush out some of their stuff, add some other opinions and ideas to material they already had. Uh, and it was a great brief moment that I, I honestly, and I think Eric would agree with me, if we were all living in the same city, you know, 
there would have been three Uma Jets records, three Imperial Drag records. Everybody would have been playing in everybody else's project, or we just would have had one band that wouldn't have been called either. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, we probably wouldn't have used Joe Carnes in the process. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's how, we, that's how we found Joe, because we knew we did not have a bass player. We started asking around. Cool. So, Joe, uh, what were your influences as a bassist? And um, did you uh, bring a certain uh, style to the band that wasn't there before in terms of groove or something like that? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I think the chief thing that I always thought brought in one of my favorite first influences was John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin. And I just love that hyper melodic style. And I remember when Roger first came over to my my place uh, to meet initially just to test things out. It was like, it was one of the posters on my wall and he was like, okay, you got the, you got the right posters here. This is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, That's it's, how I find band bangers as well. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, it was, I think, especially in, in, at that stage, because they had, um, you know, Roger and Eric had already worked up uh, over an album's worth of demos, you know, most of which didn't even make uh, the, the Imperial Drag record. One of the tunes being, uh, could have been me, which I, th- I thought was a fabulous song. There's so many great songs on there, and they all had versions of this style of playing, um, you know. Because I mean, even all the Jellyfish stuff, it's very, again, a hyper melodic, beautiful, um, active style. So, and I was uh, young. I was younger than uh, them. I was in like five years younger than them, and really just kind of starting my career. So my, um, I was kind of an excited player. To say the you know, like I loved moving around and trying a bunch of stuff out, and they just encouraged um, whatever my natural inclinations were. Um, so it was really, I, I, in fact, I just listened to the record, uh, you know, last week, top to bottom, wow. and um, just driving around, and was like, man, I really got so much support and freedom from these guys that I've really looked up to, and. Um, you know, it felt you know felt like you know it was able to put a lot of personality into the into all of that. Absolutely. So, uh, with those uh, demos, because uh, they cover sort of you know a wide range of uh, styles, um, was the sort of the possibility of you know the kind of um, you know there you go again those kind of songs um, were those songs purposely sort of left off the album because you didn't want to go so much down the sort of pop route. I guess. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, so, if I could jump yeah, yeah, in, totally. probably yeah. so. I mean, but those are fabulous songs. It was just uh, as it came time to to put a record together, something that had enough of a vision, you know, something that we wanted to do. Which I think live we really wanted to bring, you know, more of the pop rock energy. I mean, because we were, you know kind of into that and the Moog thing. So some of the Prague experimental aspects, you know, we were really keen on that. Um, but, you know, I, I, that's the only thing I had to add there when it came time, the reason that we would have, if they have any reason, left them off. They're fabulous songs. Cool. So um, you, uh, yeah, I, I looked at uh, Roger's website for this because um, Wikipedia is never the best source anyway. So, um it sort of brought up a lot of questions. Uh, you brought in uh, Will Sharp as your manager. Uh, what particular ideas did he have for Imperial Drag's presentation for a contemporary audience? Uh, did he come up with a logo design, or um, what influence did he have on the band? 
Well, um, he didn't really. He he was okay. he was. Uh, um, you know, we were very spoiled in Jellyfish. The record company allowed us quite a bit of uh, um, creative control, unlike a lot of new groups. Um, and um, uh, Will was just the perfect uh, business partner in all this at the time. And um, he saw that we were very focused. Um, we really worked out a lot of stuff. And he... And he respected the fact that we'd all come from Jellyfish and, and had moderate success in that group. So um, he, uh, he deferred to us and encouraged the record company to uh, listen to us as well. And um, so, yeah, I mean, Will, you know, we didn't really seek him for his creative input. Um, and it, it simply wasn't necessary, the four of us, took off with our own ideas. Cool. So um, if if I'm just assuming things here, obviously correct me on this, but um, did Virgin sort of maybe feel bad about Jellyfish and how it all ended? And did they sort of promise anything with Imperial Drag at the time? Because um, I, I believe, was it Virgin who uh, funded uh, you to be able to record a further six uh, tracks for Imperial Drag? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, we'll, uh, af, af, because of the demos that Eric and I originally did on our own, uh, they were fortunately patient with us. Every, everybody was sad by the Jellyfish breakup, and the record company side was no different. Um, everybody had invested so much time and money, and everybody was hoping that a third record would take us to new heights. Um, of course, we broke up before that was possible, so... Uh, fortunately, they were excited enough by the first phase of the Imperial Drag demos uh, that Will was able to convince them to advance us some more demo money. Uh, and then on that second batch, that's where we, we had Eric Scotus and Joe Carnes well in place. And they were very integral to the uh, second and third phases of demoing. Cool. So, um off the top of your head, if you can't remember this, then yeah, you know, if I'm getting too sort of specific, what, what were the six songs? Um, do do some of the demos then not have um, Joe and Eric Scotus on those songs? Are they like programmed drums and some? Yeah, exactly. Okay. You can you can hear the one you can hear the ones are not on because okay. While Eric Dover's bass playing is fantastic, it's it's usually not as busy. Um, and as, as involved as, as Joe's. Plus, the, the this demo stuff that Eric Dover and I did was, you know, it, it's, it doesn't sound live. I mean, it's, 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 we did very nice home recordings, but they, they kind of have that um, lo-fi aspect to them where the, the other guys, it's just, you know, sounds more roomy, sounds like a band playing together, and you can definitely hear the presence of the live drums and Joe's playing. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing their, that... Their characters so, come up. Yeah. I'm guessing that would include the sort of uh, the tracks with the kind of electronica feel as well, the sort of half off scale uh, kind of tracks. Would that well, be those were those were all over the place. Yeah, they I were mean, all over the place. Some <laughs> some really cool. Yeah. Band. Some of that stuff is just me and Eric. Some of it's who knows. Uh, some of it's just Eric. I think uh, stuff that he brought in. Mm. Uh, so it's all again. We were just the experiment was continuing, and there were no right or wrong answers. And, Oh yeah. yeah, I'm actually I'm looking at a uh, 
at the list. I have all this stuff in my iTunes. And yeah, there was like five songs on that first batch in October 94. And then, God, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine more in uh, a year, almost a year later. And that was right before we were ready to go in to the studio. And of the, that first batch, there was uh, three of them made the record. Boy or a Girl, Breakfast by Tiger, and Mother Nature. Mm. So, um, I, yeah, sorry, Eric. Oh, no, I was just uh, recalling the date, so. Okay, cool. Well, you, I remember you told me a story about uh, when you wrote Countless Poets. Um, would you like to sort of uh, tell everyone about the, it was a very quick song to write. Um, would you like I got to step away for one second, guys. Keep going. Totally. Uh, yeah, so the uh, the story behind Countless Poets, it was a very quick song to write. Could you tell uh, everyone the story behind that? Well, it was at the time where we were, uh, we had a, the uh, rehearsal space up in, um, it was close to where Roger's living, uh, up in Ventura, and uh, it was more like a storage area. It was kind of bleak, but, you know, you could record there. It was just like, you know, rough living, and uh, I think I spent the night one night in there because I was in between couches, so and uh, so I was like, screw it, I'll get a six pack and just stay in there for the night. And uh, there was a banjo in there, a tenor banjo from uh, Jellyfish that uh, was laying around, and that's kind of where that began. Uh, cool, is that a very autobiographical, autobiographical song? Um, <laughs> you don't have to tell me that. <laughs> no, I, I, just, I just, it just seemed to fit the mood, you know, like it just seemed like, um, you know, with, if, you, if you're writing something that had some kind of, well, I was into the faces and also, you know, the Rod Stewart thing too, you know, at the time. Hmm. And I just thought you've got to have some kind of crux and pain, you know, some kind of angst with the, or, you know, with the lyrics at least. So it was something about just being useless or feeling useless, you know. Because uh, I mean, here I am, you know, like just kind of crashing out in this rehearsal space and not, you know, with no barometer, you know, kind of like just stability, I guess. Hmm. Uh, but that was basically it. Just having that tenor banjo is such a fun thing to play. So that's the story there. Cool. Um... Well, something a little uh, different. Um, you know, you managed to, I suppose, off the back of Jellyfish, uh, even before you had a full band, have a deal for Imperial Drag. Um, Roger, in your opinion, is this something that could even be possible today? You know, to you know, without the full package, because it seems like you already have to have the the fan support, whether it be online or something like that. Um, what do you? Are you asking me? Do I think Imperial Drag would have had as good a chance as getting a deal? Uh, not just, not planet? just, not just Imperial Drag. Just anyone, really, because it's, uh, it's almost a. It seems to me a pretty remarkable thing that you were able to sort of go from one project to another under the same label, um, without having the full band there, sort of thing. Well, not really, because I mean you have to understand the the stepping stone or the what launched us was Jellyfish. I mean they they all they were all. Everybody paid attention to Jellyfish, whether or not we sold enough records or not. So when the band broke up, it was like, okay, you know, we're listening if you guys have anything else to say. So it was not 
hard to get anybody to pay attention. Of course, there was no guarantee they were going to like anything we were going to do, but they certainly were returning phone calls and taking meetings with us. And, and like we just said a second ago, even fronted us some money once they saw, hey, these guys are serious about putting something together. Mm-hmm. And we were fans of Jellyfish. We'd be fools not to support them. At least that's the impression we got from them. And it was very encouraging. Uh, I mean, I know how fortunate and blessed we were to have their support. Um, it was an amazing time because uh, we had the energy for a second chance. And I'm glad the record company did too. So um, when it came to playing live, when you recorded, uh, unlike Jellyfish, was it the intention to uh, be able to sort of recreate you know, obviously you, you played around with arrangements live, but to recreate the song as much as uh, possible and, you know, in turn sort of be really well rehearsed for when it came to playing live. Oh, I'm, and you guys want to take that one? Hmm. Maybe yeah, I, I mean... Maybe yeah, I could have I mean, worded uh, that better, I'm not sure. No, 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 I mean, I think it's, um, you know, it was kind of evident early on that we could represent these songs, you know, uh, live. Like, you know, even when we first, when, when me and Eric Scotus first got in and we, and we did that first round of demos with us, you know, we, uh, we actually did rehearse like 17 songs, whatever we had ready at the time. And, uh, you know, just did it for a couple of days and just to, it was right before like Christmas break or something like that. So we kind of like, Hey, we're all going to go our separate ways for a little bit. Let's, uh, you know, record something for posterity. So we know exactly where we're at right now. And things sounded pretty full, you know, it wasn't like, you know, the hard thing I guess is, you know, all those crazy layers of, of vocals and things like that. But we're, you know, I mean, Roger's got two hands, so he's able to do, <laughs> do a lot with the keyboards. Uh, no, but, um, you know, I mean, it was, you know, there's always something nice about doing a good version. You know, do, you do a, you make a record and then you do what you do live. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, I think the songs really lent themselves to, you know, big, getting pulled off if you had the, uh, you know, the wherewithal. <laughs> um well, I'm I'm using imperialdrag.com as an amazing source because it has unbelievably all of your uh, tour dates here. Um, someone has uh, put a lot of time and effort into it. it was it? Uh, do you know the person who is behind the website? Or? Yeah, yeah, he's a dear friend. Okay, yeah. yeah, cool. Um, well, you played uh, shows around California, and then you did some uh, label showcase uh, shows. Is that what led to you opening for Alanis Morissette on tour? No, I think that was, uh, I think um, that was literally, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, uh, somebody Will Sharp knew or the record company knew, just basically forwarded it. I mean, she was starting to get momentum and um, was looking for opening acts. And uh, because she started to have some clout, she wasn't getting forced to have certain opening acts. She could absolutely bring out whoever the hell she wanted based on whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And um, she took a liking to our album. Uh, some, somehow she got a copy. I forget who gave it to her. And she actually listened to it and said, yeah, let's give these guys, was it two weeks, three weeks? You know, and the, yes. band, the band right after us that opened for her was Radiohead, who were also about to break even bigger. So she was, she was just going on personal taste. And it didn't really matter if that opening band had much pull in their, on their own because 
Atlanta's was doing so well. They didn't they didn't need the opening act to sell tickets. Hmm. Yeah, I think we'd so, done like six shows or something before at total before right. we went and did that tour of arenas. Yeah. Cool. So at at the time, um when you were sort of arranging the songs and sort of uh uh, sort of using your influences and you know more importantly the instrumentation that you were using um, were you conscious about uh, sort of being ahead of the curve did you feel that this would be a thing that was going to uh, come in or maybe that you may be responsible for you know this kind of uh, sort of retro kind of sound um, coming back into mainstream well um you know, I mean, this was because looking back on it now, you know, you, you know, Imperial Drag did that, and then this kind of stuff has become more of the norms like since then. But it seems that you know, uh, everyone is is now more conscious of sort of uh, starting trends or whatever, or you know, bringing a style of music back into public consciousness, I suppose. Well, I mean, we were. We were never that calculated, uh, and maybe to our own detriment. Um, I, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think there's a lot of definitely popular music or, or new bands that are starting out that um, are more conscious about this is our this is going to be our angle. This is going to be the genre that we're going to tap, whether that's some, you know something more current or something from 30 years ago, um, and. They're very self-aware about it that way, as as a bit of a business angle. I, I mean, not that we weren't, but it, it was never. We just, we just, we. The only way you're going to make music that's of any worth to yourself and your fans, and be in your integrity, is to just do what inspires you. And that's what happened in Jellyfish. We just pooled our collective influences and outplopped original Jellyfish music, and that's all that happened in Imperial Drag. Hmm. Um, and uh, you know, because. We were very prolific, or we are prolific as writers, which was something I just so enjoyed about working with Eric Dover is that there was never a shortage of ideas. We were able to explore lots of territory before, like Joe, Joe told you, uh, he reminded you that, that you know there was over an album's worth of material before we even settled into what was going to become the Imperial Drag record. And we, we had the luxury of kind of picking our favorite tunes from the 20 or so demos and tr trying to say, you know, what's what's our best foot we want to put forward? What's the vibe and attitude that these songs collectively have? Is it is it somewhat cohesive? What kind of journey does it take the listener on? What kind of impression are we putting out there? And, um, and you know, from the, from the inception of Imperial Drag to when the album finally came out, Trends were flying in and out in pop music, as as they do, and will can always continue to do. So, you know, when Jelly, uh, Imperial Drag starts, you've got grunge flooding the marketplace because of what the Nirvana album did. Hmm. There's no more. There's no more metal, and it's all it's all some version of grunge, except for bands like the Black Crows and Lenny Kravitz, who have they're still hard rocking. We kind of have one foot in the retro world. And then, then you had a bunch of like indie college stuff, and dance and techno was barely getting off the ground. But there was an audience for that, and you you had Nine Inch Nails doing their industrial thing, and so there were all kinds of trends going on. And you know, we listened to plenty of them. 
we all we all loved and bonded on the first Supergrass record, but we weren't going to start writing Supergrass songs unless th those naturally kind of came out, you know, or an extension of us. And so you you just do what you do, and uh, you know, Weezer was a good example at that point because their first album came out around '94. Same same with Beck around '94, mm -hmm. and those two bands right there who were completely. <laughs> on their own with their sound. Hmm. They weren't following any trends. And there seemed to be this audience for the back stuff, and there seemed to be an audience for the Weezer stuff. I remember scratching my head going, wow, this weird band, beat Weezer, like, actually, like, they're taking off. They're doing well. They, they, I, I don't, I'm fascinated by how they connected with an audience, but they did. And it was, I thought their sound was very original. And, and um, But you can't, you can't, preoccupy yourself and then start chasing trends because uh well at that at that point you're you're i mean who are you making the music for i mean it's not i've always been fascinated by by rogue artists who were just doing whatever the hell they that naturally came out from their hearts and uh um that that's that's all we were about i mean for us to be calculated we're just going to be a you know crash and burn experiment it uh we had to just be ourselves as, as much as possible. Hmm. Well, lyrically, um, the album, it, I mean, it covers a lot of ground, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of darkness uh, in the lyrics, and I, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to speak for any use, but it seems like there's a lot of honesty in the lyrics as well. Uh, did you get sort of immediate, what kind of immediate uh, audience feedback did you get? Did it appeal to sort of maybe disenfranchised sort of uh, teenagers, or was it kind of the immediate sort of post jellyfish kind of following or like walking it uh, a lot of different types of people i mean we we had all the uh you know the 90s kids that were into not a surf and whatever flavor of the day sounds you know indie sound stuff with i remember beating a transsexual a few transsexuals at some shows <laughs> there was like it was it was wild, um, but the yeah. Uh, did I answer that? I don't remember. But. Well, I mean, you know, you know, what's interesting is uh, Imperial Drag was much like, uh, sorry, Imperial Drag fans were similar to Jellyfish fans in that you either really, really got where we were coming from, and you really understood the different uh, arenas, uh, themes, attitudes, genres we were exploring within. The Imperial Drag first record, or you didn't, and I think I think we had we we were always excited when uh, fans would come up to us of all walks of life after a show and start giving us compliments, and you could tell oh my god they really really get it they really they understand the diversity they're not just going hey you know aren't you those, that post jellyfish band that, that you know is, is rocking the seventies thing or whatever and I mean. Which was obviously a, a part of us. It was an extension of. It was very natural. To, of course, of course, we were post jellyfish to a degree. That was going to happen. But um, when you could tell that they really understood the uh, particulars and the different ingredients that made that first record, you know, that was the greatest. That was the greatest compliment. And um, uh, we had minimal radio play. So it was more about trying to get people's attention through, and we had minimal video play, so it was more about trying to get people's attention through 
uh, album itself, album sales, and touring. Uh, touring was crucial. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we'd have towns we would roll into that were like, oh, all right, this city really gets it. Like, I remember Nashville being one of our most amazing shows, and I couldn't, I had no idea why. <laughs> and then two days later, we were somewhere else, and, you know, it was, it was not happening. And uh, it, was, it was just sad because we're like, well, wait a minute. If these people over here totally get it and are into the party, how come these people aren't? And it's, this, it's the same dilemma any new band that's introducing the world of their sound goes through. Uh, Europe, Europe was the same way. For some reason, England really, really got it. Same with Japan. Now, now England and Japan were always jellyfish strongholds, but we were, that was only part of what was happening. We were noticing that just in general, uh, the British audience was just understanding Imperial Drag much more right out of the gate. And, uh, you know, it just, it just saddens me that, um, we couldn't continue to parlay that into a, a bigger career for all of ourselves uh, in the in the years ahead. But uh, our brief time in Japan and England, man, I felt like a fucking rock star. I don't know about y y you two, but uh, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I'm going to get into that a little bit uh, later on. But did um, a boy or a girl, um, even just the title, did that sort of uh, connect with? certain countries because of the uh, the subject matter of the song um, you know like sort of uh, more European countries or uh, whatever did they sort of you know I, and I, I don't mean this in any way sort of jokey but when you said you had uh, transsexuals you know come up to you at gigs did they actually you know were they familiar with the song and did they connect with it in some kind of way oh well, yeah, let's put it this so. way. yeah yeah I'm sorry go ahead go ahead Joe uh, I was just going to say like um you know, there's the dichotomy shows itself in I think I think it was Tampa, some city in in Florida. Uh, like we, it got put on the radio, and it was there was like hatred. Like it, there was I remember in that one city, it was like that's there was like deep something about it, just like they couldn't deal with it. And then there's others. You know, you go to Minneapolis, a true music city. That's you know that is the birthplace of Prince and all of his beautiful individualism and uh you know and they ate it up as our biggest uh market for the for you know actual album sales and things like that so that's what we had going on in america america's just too big to actually yeah. be able to and especially you know especially at that time we were still like the country's still going through its growing pains but you know is this is 20 years even before now and uh yeah there was you know it was it was a half and half as people who get it got the tongue-in-cheek and got that got where it was coming from and then there's the people who were just afraid of the actual title and couldn't get past that but then so then when you talk about europe and japan and places like that that actually aren't you know in europe is you know just you know it's, it's give a give a, a brit a chance and they're going to dress and drag and you know pull some monty python on you and it's just good fun you know so that's like just it's just not as uh, stigmatized that actual subject matter over there so they can actually get into the meat of the song and actually like you know see what's actually happening I'll, I'll never forget you have the tampa show now i'm laughing about that that was funny that little radio show that we did wasn't oh. a radio promo show and they all hated yeah. us oh yeah i remember that yeah that was, that was crazy. great <laughs> 
what kind yeah, of I'll, yeah what kind of feedback did you get off that one? it was all like 12 year olds who par- whose parents had <laughs> dropped them off you know like get lost kid, <laughs> you know <laughs> oh, amazing um <laughs> is there any more to that did uh, did you end up uh, playing in front of an empty audience uh, by the end of the show or was it just lots of confused kids I suppose it just became a punk rock sling fest of <laughs> insults and like, and oh, no, like that was yeah that was Fort Lauderdale actually oh was that in Fort Lauderdale yes it's, that's, it's still Florida and it was uh, yeah. yeah dude it was gnarly it was gnarly I, you know it was like I was just watching the Twisted Sister documentary, and they're talking about going and getting random things thrown at them. You know, it was like a Gatorade bottle of uh, someone's uh, urine thrown at us, and cigarette butts, and ashtrays, and you know, it was a, it was a, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a seminal moment actually, because we actually had to rally back from that. We took a lot of inspiration from our uh, friends in, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking, Pleasure Club, James Hall. Yeah, and they, oh, right. they had a similar experience out in um, opening for Rage Against the Machine in England, and people just wanted rage, and they were getting up there and, and doing their thing, and they were just getting spit on, and they just actually like walked out into the front of the stage and put their instruments down and just flipped everyone off and let them do it, and they got a bigger write-up in one of the one of the magazines out there than Rage Against the Machine, and you can't get a better show than Rage Against the Machine, but they're just sheer brazenness uh and ability to just say no this is who we are and this is what we're doing and you're going to take it or not but you know we're going to give it to you you know we had to call conjure that up at that show because it was you know it was like halfway through we're like dude this is we this is getting dangerous and this is not fun and then it became fun once we finally like we're like wait actually we gotta we gotta just bring it let's play uh um you know she cries all night which is our fastest punkiest song and then you kind of get them on your side and then you take them out you know so one thing we always had i think in our in the show was like no matter who we were playing for we knew what we were and we knew how good we were doing what we did and so we always had that attitude like we weren't afraid to come before or play after anybody Hmm. yeah 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 Totally. I mean, I've, I think one of uh, out of all the footage I've seen, one of my favorite uh, Imperial Drag Live moments is right at the end of the show when Eric uh, drop kicks the amp. Uh, do, do you remember that, or do, uh, or was that like a regular thing at the time? Wait a minute, <laughs> I did what? <laughs> you did not remember this. Uh, it's on one of the DVDs that I got from Roger's site. You you did a running flying drop kick into one of the amps right at the end of the uh, <laughs> at the end of the show. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember it actually. Uh, oh, okay. But I've, I've since, uh, you know, went through a few four twelves. Sadly. Uh, okay, I, I just love that. I thought it was tremendous. I hope everyone's enjoying my interview with Imperial Drag. I'll be back in a jiffy. Are you ready for this? Sugar plums in your head? If you are looking at exploring your own unique and individual style, come into your worlds. Through Geordie's Tattoo Studio. Spotlight a significant aspect of your own self. We can help fuel your thoughts with our ideas, give you options, and then we do the rest. Find us at www.geordiestattoo.com. You do it in the shower. You do it in the car. Come do it with us and be a star. Karaoke with Full House Entertainment at the Corner House Pub, 27th of May 2016 from 9pm. All singers get a chance to win one of 15 prizes and our new food menu is now in full swing. Visit us for a pre-drink at the Corner House Pub. 
Heater Newcastle upon time. Any six five RP. And now back to the shoe. So when Eric um, joined uh, Slashy Snake Pit for that extended period of time, uh, how close? Because uh, I know that you were writing during that time as well. But how close did it? Did Imperial Drag come to not happening, or was that never a possibility, sort of thing? Oh, that was not going to happen because I'd given my word to Roger when I, when because uh, Roger encouraged me to, you know, which was really cool of him to to take this opportunity because it was offered to me, you know, and um, so we knew that well, I knew that uh, eventually uh, it would be you know time to get in with uh, the Imperial Drag recording and stuff. And, uh, you know, Slash, you know, he'd asked me to stay, but I, I mean, I couldn't. And I, I'm, I'm glad I didn't because we really, I think, made, you know, something very individual and special, um, you know, in, in, our, in our own way. Um, not to take away from what Slash does, which is fantastic, um, but obviously, uh, we had kind of more varied interests musically, at least with the the Imperial Drag, uh, you know, the stuff that we were trying to incorporate into our sound. So there was no way I was going to pass up a, a chance to work with uh, with Roger and Eric and Joe, you know, because we'd all kind of like, you know, we saw that that this was special once you got in the room and 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 plugged in your amps, you know. Um, and people could even hear it outside, you know, the, wherever we were rehearsing or playing. I mean, you could feel it. It's, it's kind of an energy thing without sounding too uh, metaphysical about it. Just, yeah. Uh, yeah, I get it. Um, so when you were doing the writing sessions um, while on tour with uh, Slash, did you feel uh, your writing style sort of changed because of Slash's influence or... Uh, oh, like not change, but did uh, that bring another dimension to your writing that then you could then take to Imperial Drag? Hmm, um, that's a good question. But you know, too, uh, with well, you see, the lyrics are really they're they're very much a collaboration too. You know, even if somebody is the guy behind the pen pushing the pen there's still the feedback you get from your your bandmates and and you know Roger was very good about that too helping me focus uh lyrics with imperial drag and the same went for slash um what we basically did was we'd go to the studio every day with the intention of getting a song cut and written and I'd just go upstairs at a little room at Rumbo Recorders and and write and come downstairs and go, what do you think about this? And, uh, you know, he would go, that's good or that's shit, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's, so it's still a collaborative thing, I think. You know, that's, um, it has, it doesn't have to be, but I, I enjoy, I enjoy that. I like having that, that feedback from your, your music writing partner and it's cool. Mm. And, you know, anyone that wants to, I could bring things in like that, so. 
Totally. Um, well, one, I think it's kind of just an assumption on my part, but with the uh, with the demos in particular, I kind of just assumed that whoever sang lead vocals on the track had more of the input into the track. But I'm I'm assuming that probably isn't the case now. That every track was very much a collaborative uh, sort of effort. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a beautiful thing to go back and listen to. I think because uh, you know, we're, yeah, but getting into those arrangements and uh, you never know what what it, it's always like. I don't know when you make a song or record it, it's sort of like batting or something. Without I, I hate to use a sports analogy, but you know, we were hitting them out of the park pretty consistently. You know, in, the, in that demo stage, I thought and. Um, yeah, that's all really I've had. On the Imperial Drag uh, website, it says that two uh, gigs were cancelled because uh, uh, you immediately went over to do uh, TFI Friday in the UK, which was, I, I assume, your biggest uh, UK performance. Um, what particularly led to that? Because Chris Evans is known for finding these uh, sort of bands who aren't necessarily well-known. Was that the case? Uh, yeah, I believe we did have to... Uh... They they rushed us over there as soon as we got that slot, um, and I remember it being a super hectic but exciting moment for all of us because it was going to be in and out. There was no acclimation to jet lag or whatever. I mean, I don't think any of us slept very well for four days straight and had to impress everybody in three and a half minutes, um, as one has to with the TV shows. It's you know your your chance and. Um, but I'm thankful for the experience. Uh, I'd, I'd always been a big um, Manic Street Preachers fan, and they were on the bill as well. And yeah, um, I thought we did really, really good. And um, you can never know how far those types of things, what kind of reach they have, how much they actually do for the group or not. But it certainly didn't hurt. Totally. And. Um, uh, Imperial Drag, uh, sorry, not Imperial Drag, uh, TFI sort of ended, I think, in 2000, and it just got brought back for, uh, for a series as well, because it was one of my favorite shows of all time, so I was really glad. And I think, oh. I think there may have been a small clip, because uh, the show sort of passed episode sort of thing, and I think there was like a very sort of small clip, but I was very excited about that. Oh, sweet. Um, so um, that will have led on to your uh, UK tour with the Verb. Verve Pipe, uh, a band admittedly that I'm not very familiar with. Um, how did you come into contact with them? I mean, I think hmm. wasn't it just the usual channels, guys? I mean, like the booking agents kind of. Yeah, because yeah, it, it was an interesting thing because it was kind of co-headlining, but it depended on where. We, like in England, we were the headliners, but in the rest of Europe, they were the headliners. But we all kind of got our full set. It was just they went on, it was dependent on who went first and second. And it also, um, yeah, I don't know why it actually happened. I think, you know, they just, you know, they had had a, you know, some good success with one song and were about to have real huge success with their second single uh -huh. um, out in the States. But, you know, we were both just trying to crack, crack Europe somehow. And they, uh, and for some reason, people thought it would fit and work. You know, we had a great time with those guys. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was an overall positive experience for sure. Hmm. 
Um, okay, well, as we are sort of wrapping up, uh, I've got a couple more things that I want to uh, sort of cover. Um, the demos, uh, they, when I look on Google, um, and from sort of the knowledge that I guess I have, uh, they got released sort of, I guess, unofficially in 2005. What was the story behind that? I mean, um, did you give the go-ahead for that to happen, or did someone just get a hold of them? Because the one thing that I do know is that Not Lame released five of the uh, demos, and th that's something that I didn't know until recently, so what was the story behind them getting leaked? I have no fucking clue, unfortunately. <laughs> I, okay. I, did, I, did, did it piss you off that they got out there? Uh, no, but... Okay. Uh, you know, we have a. We we've been in conversations with Omnivore Records, who want to put out a four CD package for us. Yeah. They want to have two of those CDs be demos and two CDs be live uh, outtakes. And the only thing that has stopped, and and they've done jellyfish packages. They've done uh, packages for my other band TVIs with Jason Faulkner and Brian Reitzel. Um, and they've been an overall supporter of everything all of us have been involved in. And the only reason an Imperial Drag 4CD retrospective package has not already come out is that um, they could not get uh, easy clearance from Sony for the material. Um, they are still working on it, but, you know, it kind of became a headache for them. So, you know, it's not a project they get up every morning and try to crack. Yeah. Uh, they have told me that they're going to continue to figure it out, but... They're confused because Sony, or who, it's EMI, whoever has the uh, master licenses on our material, they're just being um, difficult about it, as if as if we were as if we had been some gigantic band who sold millions of copies, and they want to make sure they get a cut. And we're like, you want to make sure you get a cut of a little retrospective demo package on a super independent label out of Los Angeles that isn't going to make anybody any money. Hmm. Um, so we don't know what the trouble has been, the challenge has been. Uh, and sorry, sorry. I'm well, I'm just going to say, I personally, you know, I, I don't, I don't call that record company once a week either and say, hey, what's going on with the Imperial Drag Box? You know, it's like I, I trust them, and they've had great fun doing the Jellyfish and other things. Hmm. Um, and I know that they have always been eager to do the Imperial Drag one, and I want them to do it. I think they do a good job. But uh, it's just kind of, you know, been put on hold, and all of us are going on with our lives at 1,000 miles an hour. So, again, it just hasn't been a, a priority for anybody um, since, I mean, we, you know, er Eric Scotus had artwork and everything ready to go as, as early as, what, 2011, I think? Mm -hmm. um, so... It's been talked about for a while and was looking real good until they hit that snag with, uh, again, I think it's EMI. Mm. Well, when I was talking to you, um, I, I had Bruce Brodeen as a, a previous guest, and um, he said that when the Jellyfish box had got released, um, I think it, it may have been Omnivore, um, when they were trying to get the rights to some of the Jellyfish stuff, that they saw the success of the Jellyfish box set, that it sold out, um, and maybe they saw that there was money to be made and maybe that is the case with the Imperial Drag. They they've seen all of this omnivore stuff sell well and and the box set through not lame and maybe that's what they see in it. 
maybe. Well, but, uh, well, no. I mean, just to put things in perspective, yes, the jellyfish stuff sold well, but it sold well for the tiny little power pop market that wants it. Uh -huh. It's it. These these aren't numbers that a major label is going to pay attention to. Trust me. Okay. No, no one. No one's sweating anything over these kind of numbers, and that's not to diminish the success of these projects. I'm very proud that anybody is still paying attention after all this time. It's very, very flattering to me and the, the guys and everybody who I've collaborated with for these different projects, but that's not, that's not why a major label would do it. They're just being a bummer. They're, not, they're being lazy. They're not getting up and walking from one office to the next office and clearing a license. It's like they've just got more important things to do in their opinion. And the fact of the matter is that stuff has to be legally done or omnivore can't proceed. Um, okay. It's just, yes, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Hmm. Well, we're going to wrap up because I know that your your time is limited. Um, well, let's I, go out on a more positive note than that. You no, know, no. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to, yeah. Um, so, Ed, uh, between the three of you, what are your sort of personal favorite memories of uh, playing live um, in terms of, because, I don't know if this is true or not, but and this again is kind of weird that I'm telling you this. But I bought an Imperial Drag demo, or, uh, not a demo, a, a promo CD or something, and the guy said that he was at an Imperial Drag show. And um, again, I don't know if this is true, but apparently Eric sort of went into the front row and was sort of being passed along the front row, being fed grapes. Is that sort of true? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I I mean, anything is possible. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, best answer. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's a lot of fun that was had there, and there's there's definitely uh, you know, especially as we got on and got comfortable with the set, or just went through whatever we were going through at the times. Um, it's definitely a spontaneity, and you know, like I think I think the you know pinnacle was doing those uh, shows in Japan, um, where you really got. Uh, fan base that was totally rabid and we were as oiled as we were going to get and uh as far as you know being up on the material and really owning our show and um you know and that's you know i think there's there was definitely like i have a couple photographs from that of like you know like we'd end our shows and yeah i mean some things could break and you know <laughs> um, but all, all, all in a good creative fun but especially those shows it was just like yeah i remember like one of the last ones was like well we're uh we're going home now, so it's like if anything breaks, we you know we can fix it there, <laughs> you know. So we'll go out with a bang, and um, yeah, just super always super fun to look look over at these guys that I have and still admire so much to this day, and uh, feel like there was you know it was a freight train of of, of mm -hmm. talent up there, you know. That was just like I couldn't I couldn't ask to have been have that be my introduction into music in any better way than to play with Roger and Eric and Eric, man. Cool. Uh, so, yeah. We, yeah, sorry, I'll let you go. Yeah. I was just going to jump in and add to that that, um, yeah, some of my favorite live memories, uh, you know, like I said earlier, England and Japan just gave us accolades and uh, appreciation over and over again, and those those were always rewarding. But some of my favorite shows were probably in the states where we knew that well, wherever the, wherever it was, the show was going to be particularly challenging because it wasn't 
you know, we're being, being placed in front of a, a suspicious audience, didn't know if they were going to be into us, or there were uh, not as many people as we had hoped were in attendance, or there were a ton of people in attendance that we hadn't expected. At any show that we really had to rise to the occasion, that frankly put some pressure on us to deliver, because you weren't, you weren't going to pack it in and go home. You weren't going to call in sick. You had to go out there and really, really rise to the occasion. And of course that meant together as a band, everybody carrying their weight to do what needed to be done to put on the best show ever. But really a lot of that fell on uh, Eric Dover being the front man. And 90% and of the eyes at any given moment were on him. And he had to figure out how he was going to get this audience in the palm of his hand. Uh, as much as me, Joe, and Eric were helping out, and um, there were there were many shows where we did just that, and I was very proud to be sharing the stage with these guys and um, witnessing what happened when we all committed and went for it. Because at that at that point, because I knew we were well rehearsed, I knew we could deliver a solid you know, rock show that, that musically was amazing, but you have to go past that and create an event that's more than, gee, these guys just played all their instruments really, really well, and they didn't miss a note. It it, it goes past that um, when we're talking about classic concert moments, and uh, I witnessed several of those uh, with this group um, that I was just, I was just so proud of to be a part of, and, and, uh, um, you know, th th those are the kind of like musical life memories you have, and I, I have them in every project I've ever played in. And Imperial Drag had its share. Wish I could remember the exact towns and things like that, but I, I can't. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I remember a bunch of towns, but yeah, I mean, I got to echo that, you know. And we're gonna keep a bunch of stuff on you, Dover, but you. Uh, you know, one of the most dynamic and engaging, uh, you know, front people out there, you know, here, here, so, you here, know, here. And, and surprising there was, you know, there's, you know, there'd be times where you didn't know what was going to happen and something special would, you know, usually pop out that yeah. was uh, in the moment. <laughs> and the that's really hard. Was his back pocket. Yeah. But there's like, that's, it's so hard to, you know, you can go and do these shows and there's so many things, you know, bands, we go out there and you're just like, you know, you, you got a, a, a set and it's done and there it is. And, and here's what you're going to say after this song and that song. But, you know, there was, you know, there was no fear, uh, at least shown uh, from 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 Dover and getting out there and like, you know, handling a crowd, even in the even in the more complex moments of of an audience's <laughs> attention. You know, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I just flashed as Joe was talking on one of, on one of Joe's. One of our first shows with Alanis Morissette where she was playing a fucking shed in Utah, I think it was. And it was the most people Joe had ever played for. And I think, I know that I had played once or twice only to a larger audience like that. And I think Eric had as well, either in Jellyfish with me or something. But Joe, Joe never had. And we had barely started touring as a band. We'd gone from like local L.A. clubs to in front of these giant Alanis audiences as her record was started to explode. And I just remember Joe, like, he looked like a kid at Disneyland after the concert. He was buzzing with adrenaline and just awe 
that one, we had actually gone out there and done it. And two, that he had probably actually gone out there without feigning. And just <laughs> oh, the, uh, the, the rush that one receives from, you know, I don't know, what is it, 20, 30,000 screaming teenage girls. Um, and, and they weren't <laughs> they weren't even screaming for us. They were just like, well, that was probably the first concert. Totally. They were just, yeah, they were I, just giddy with, you know, uh, concert excitement. And... Uh, uh, it was it was just really fun to witness that through Joe's eyes, being the you know the freshman member of the group. I remember that. I was that was the Portland Portland Rose Garden where the Trailblazers play. You know, I remember the night before looking over like I was dri- we're driving up the coast or driving up the five and going like the day before, and I was like, oh no, this is cool. I'm not nervous. It's gonna be great. No problem. And then we get to Portland the night before, go to dinner across the river, and you I could see this giant thing. And I could I couldn't eat that night. I was like, dude, oh my god, what, what did I get myself into, man? I've like, <laughs> you know, I played for like thirty people in L.A., man. That's a cool. That's a good big night for me. Yeah. <laughs> but then as soon as you get out there and like the you know the lights go down, you get on the stage. You know, the weirdest thing was just that everyone was thirty feet away from me. But right. yeah, you know, yeah. But I, I remember that show very well, man. I was a, uh, you know, uh, not to be rude, but you know, pop me cherry there. <laughs> 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 awesome, so Eric, what have you got to add to that? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I mean, kind of an amalgamation of, of what Joe and Roger have said, you know, um, I remember certain shows, you know, where, I, you know, I really felt the band and the crowd were, you know, having a lot of fun together and and getting it, um, and of course the UK shows were always, I mean, I, I love playing in the UK anyway, because of several reasons, uh, but yeah, I mean, on the nights that, it w- that we were really on an all fours, you know, I was, I was so happy, like, to be up there with with all those guys, and I, you know, without getting too man-weepy, just want to say I love you all very much, and thanks for having me in, in your musical lives. <laughs> Absolutely, right back at you, man. <laughs> I'm, 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 yeah, I'm very thankful that uh, the four of us were ever able to take this brief adventure together, and have, uh, you know, not only remain friends but get to uh, reminisce like this once in a while, uh, because it's it's a period in my my own musical journey I wouldn't trade for the world, and um, it was just a really special time in all of our lives, and we were a certain age, and we met some pretty incredible people during all of our touring camping trips so to speak and uh you know think think of all to this day think of all of our uh, musical acquaintances we know uh particularly in today's music climate uh who simply are not going to ever be able to be given the chance that we were um and that in and of itself is just so life affirming and a life miracle and um yeah. Thanks to you guys and, and SCOTUS for sharing it with me, and thanks to uh, people like Paul for you know keeping it alive and introducing new fans to this brief period in time. You know, the, the 90s are just like so far away now. It's absolutely <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> well, I'm sure um, Eric SCOTUS will probably be listening to this as well. Um, Eric is probably one of the best 
backing vocalists I think I've ever seen, considering the fact that he's playing drums as well. You know, I've seen him uh, sing backing vocals for, you know, Roger, your solo thing, uh, yeah. shows as well. And those are not easy arrangements as well. Eric is incredible, and I've paid tribute to him many times. Um, but yeah, I, I just want to include him in the show as well. And I wish, I wish he was a part of it, but I know he's busy, and uh, I really yeah. am thankful that the three of you have been able to give me even a minute of your time. Um, you know, as a, this podcast is still growing, and but I've managed to get some amazing guests. I've had Tim Smith on. Um, oh wow! I've, um, you know, again, lucky to have you guys on, and uh, sort of the the best shows that I've had in terms of listenership have all been sort of you know uh, jellyfish imperial drag etc related. So this is kind of like almost, and again, don't want to embarrass you, but kind of the holy grail of uh, <laughs> you know the uh, this podcast. Uh, so yeah, again, I really appreciate it. Imperial drag's music to me always had a sense of freedom or always does have a sense of freedom to it within the uh within the lyrics and the music and again just the attitude as well and it has been a major influence on my writing as well it may not sound like it on some of the songs but it really really has uh so i want to thank you all of you for your writing and your performances on those tracks both in the studio and live as well well thank you Thank you, Paul. Okay, thank you. Actually, before we do go, what would you like to say to the fans? I should probably put that in there. <laughs> Shit, uh, just <laughs> thank you for hanging. Thank you for hanging around and paying attention after all these years. And I'm I'm uh, flattered if any of our music continues to brighten your day. And um, you know, I really hope that that four CD package uh, comes out for all of you because um, it's pretty special and, and uh, it'd be it'd be a real treat. Yeah. Oh, and also I got to say, when you get Scotus on the on the line, um, the guy's got the best memory of any of us. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. He is, he's he's kind of the the torchbearer for all things Imperial Drag and knows so many details, like all these things that we're talking about. Like, oh, I think it was here. He's like, no, it was November seventh. Blah blah. You know, he's you know ten forty four p.m. Uh, so I definitely encourage you to follow up on, on getting him down. I certainly will. It's kind of weird because obviously I'm a fan and I'm trying not to just come across like a crazy person asking, you know, you know, what color socks were you wearing on this uh, particular gig or whatever. So, you know, <laughs> um, I'm just really glad that you were able to uh, tolerate my, uh, you know, probably stupid questions at times. But uh, it's all good. Not at all. Not, <laughs> not at all. Thanks, all. Thanks for caring. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll end it there. Okay, thank you very awesome. much. Oh, thank you. Thanks. She cries.
Thank you to Imperial Drag, Roger, Joe, and Eric. Um, certainly something that I never expected could happen. You know, I think if you'd just be enough of a pain in the ass without just, you know, getting the police called on you or anything like that, uh, <laughs> you know, um, your heroes will be receptive to you, hopefully. Um, and that's kind of what's happened. And I, it, it was an honor to do that. Um, especially, you know, me and Eric, uh, Eric and I, I should say, uh, we've worked together a few times now. I consider him a friend. Uh, it's the first time I've spoken to Joe, and it's it's the first time I've spoken to Roger face-to-face. Uh, -face. And it's something that I just never thought would be possible. Um, Roger will be on a show coming up in the future. There will be more info on that in the, you know, the coming weeks and months. I mean, it's going to be a little while yet, but... There is going to be part two of the Imperial Drag story with Eric Dover and Eric Scotus. All members of Imperial Drag are being interviewed. I'm taking good care of you here, you dear Imperial Drag fan. Um, Eric couldn't make this episode, but he and Eric Dover um, are going to do another episode and I've decided to make it a fan question show where you can submit your questions. Eric Scotus according to the other members of the band, and I believe it as well, is the mastermind, well, not the mastermind, um, the historian of Imperial Drag. He knows his stuff. Um, he will be able to hopefully answer any question that you may have. Um, he has definitely been the flag bearer for Imperial Drag since uh, the band ended in 1997. Um... What you have to do to submit questions is join Pablo's Poppin' Podcast on Facebook. I know that I have the Jellyfish page, um, joining a fan page, which you should all join if you haven't already. 
but ideally I want to get traffic through the Pablo's Poppin' Podcast page. So you've got to join that page to submit your question. I will be posting when you can submit your question uh, soon. Not quite yet, but when you do, submit your question and it will get read out on the air. Um, so I hope that you fully take advantage of that. Next week's guest is, and if you know me, I'm also a big professional wrestling fan. And next week's guest, Justin Henry, the co-author of Titan Screwed. Lost Smiles, Stunners, and Screwjobs. If you're a wrestling fan, you're probably familiar with the Attitude Era, wrestlers like Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. This is the story of how WWF at the time turned the corner. They were going to go out of business, and then they you know, experienced the biggest boom period in the company's history. We go into that, we talk a lot of wrestling, um, and I hope that's a show that you'll enjoy. If you are a wrestling fan, check out the previous wrestling show episodes that I've, uh, that I've done as well. Um, and coming up in a couple of weeks, I will be chatting with Luke Harrison. Now, he is the head of Total Fitness Tribe, and we talk about, you know, uh, the importance of keeping your mind and body in the best shape that it can possibly be. This is good for me because I'm out of shape, I'm a musician, and I need to take better care of myself. So, you know, I try to get um, guests who are going to inspire, motivate, and, you know, hopefully make you a better person as well. And I think this particular show with Luke is going to be a show that you listen to over and over again because he's just full of wisdom and it's it's basically a life lesson and it's a show that I'm, I'm so glad that I recorded. We we do talk about wrestling as well. Um, yeah, so I just hope you enjoy the future shows coming up. Like, comment, subscribe, you know, um, leave feedback. What did you think of this show? Um... I'm still learning as a podcast host. Yeah, I think you never really stop learning. But podcasts are different to radio, where you don't really need any formal training to uh, become a host. And you can make it as niche as you like. But And that was kind of going to be the show. But I've been lucky enough to get some amazing guests. And the show is starting to grow. And that's because of guests, because of the sponsors, and because of you. So yes, uh, check out, again, toxicmelons.bandcamp.com if you want to look at some of the music or listen to some of the music that I've done please vote Pablo's Pop and Podcast on the New Media Europe link below the show check out the sponsors everything else and have as good of a week as I'm having because I'm I'm a happy person and uh, I hope you are too okay thank you very much I'm gonna send you home happy with some motherfucking imperial drag tunes <laughs>
Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.